Good evening. Tonight I thought that I saw the real abominable snowman in our parking lot, but it wasn't. It was Russ with the snowblower. So I kind of thought that. It's great to see you all here tonight. We're thankful to God for his blessings and for his mercy. We're thankful to him for his love. Let's go together, please, to God in prayer. Our great God, we are thankful to you for your kindness and for your amazing grace and for your blessings and for your mercy and for sending Jesus, your great son, in whom you so willingly sent. Lord God, we are, we are thinking of you tonight as we come to worship and then with this blessed idea tonight, we are thinking of you and we thank you so very much for your gift and for your amazing mercy. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray and thank thee for be that will. Amen. Going to Matthew 2, we're still talking about Mary, and I'll explain in a moment why I stated in my prayer that we're thinking about God tonight. You know, I think Mary had this progression in, in thought, you know, from a, the baby, they wanted to kill her baby, they wanted to kill her son, and they wanted to kill her Lord. That reality of life began for her. The prophecies that came to her, the reality came to her when that, after that baby was born. In verse 13 of Matthew chapter 2, Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Out of Egypt did I call my son. I assume, I'm turning to Luke chapter 4, that in their hometown, Mary was sitting in the audience as Jesus spoke. She heard the message. She was there in the synagogue. And, and can you imagine the words that he echoed and the, and the pride that she must have had to hear her son speak? And in Luke chapter 4 and verse 16, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed upon him. And I can imagine that the way he read it was so amazing. But then he makes the statement and he says in verse 21, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He continues to speak outside of the synagogue and, and all, everything changes. People, don't know, people no longer like what he's saying. And in verse 28, And all the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things and they rose up and cast him out of the city 
and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. You want to kill my son? You want to kill my baby? What has he done? Why do they want to kill my son? The prophecy has become real. Mark chapter 3. Many at home had much to say about Jesus. They had opinions. They had ideas. And in Mark 3 and, and verse 20, and he came home and the multitude gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. And when his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him. For they were saying, he has lost his senses. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebub. And he's cast out the demons by the ruler of the demons. And he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? Can you imagine being his mother, John chapter 7, and listening to the way they're speaking about your innocent son? Can you imagine what that would feel like? The pain that she must have felt. In verse 2 of John 7, Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of Booth, was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may, may behold your works which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Now keep in mind that the verse, verse 1 tells you that they were looking to kill Jesus and his brother said, Hey, won't you go out there? His own brothers, verse 5, weren't believing in him. Now either, you know, there's something wrong here because why would your siblings not believe in you when your mother, who's a, who's a godly woman, has explained to you time and time again about Jesus? I had to think about what was going on in that home. But now I want to move to a, a, a thought now. It has been said, I'm going to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that the death of one's own child is worse and the most painful loss that a human being can face. The first one to lose a child by way of prophecy is God. By way of prophecy in Genesis 3.15 the sin of Eve, the sin of Adam, sin that came into the world. Jesus Christ was crucified, the Bible says, from the foundation of the world. He would lose his son. And he would have to stand in the heavens and restrain himself from this evil generation. And the last enemy to be destroyed in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 26 is death. Mary too would 
suffer a loss. She would lose her only at that time. That child that God gave to her. Now he had other brothers. We have four brothers, some sisters. But this child is the only special, unique child by way of prophecy and the fulfillment of prophecy. And she's about to lose him. I'm just reminded of a few passages. Beginning at Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31. A few passages in the Old Testament where, where the loss of a child is, is explained or there's some sentiment in regards to the loss of a child. The first one is Rachel. In Jeremiah 31, in verse 15, the Bible says, Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentations and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Israel turning away from God and their loss. Notice she refuses to be comforted. And that seems to be a theme or, or, or something that happens in the hearts of, of humanity. I'm going back to Exodus chapter 11 when they suffer the loss of a child. Exodus chapter 11, the mass loss, if you will, in the final plague. Verse 6. Moreover, there shall be a great cry in all the land of Egypt, such as there has not been before, and such as shall never be again. The loss of the firstborn child. Verse 30, chapter 12. And Pharaoh rose in the night, and he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, and there was no home where there was not someone dead. And so this cry for these children, and they could have been adults, but they were the firstborn. And what I've learned in life, and you know, is that I'm going back to Genesis uh, chapter 21, that even though your child grows up, they're still your children. Right? Genesis 21 and verse 16 regarding Hagar, look at what she did. Then she went and sat down opposite him, about a bow shot away. For she said, do not let me see the boy die. As she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the lad crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. And then what about David? 2 Samuel, David and Absalom, and though Absalom was, was, was not the best son in the world, out seeking out to, to destroy his father, and yet, yet when you get to his death in 2 Samuel chapter 18, and you begin to read the, the expression on the heart of David, you know, Joab says, if you don't, if you don't cut this out, the whole army is going to think that you don't care anything about us. And in verse 32, then the king said to the Cushite, is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, let the enemies of my lord, the king, and all who rise up against you for evil be as that young 
man, your son, you know, the one that is the reason that we're running for your life. And the king in verse 33 was deeply moved because it was his son and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And thus he said as he walked, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would that I have died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. I guess the reality is it's never easy. And it truly, it truly can be exactly what everyone says. It's the worst pain that a human can experience. In Genesis 37, you know, Jacob couldn't find his son, Joseph. He was sure that he had been killed. And when the boys brought the evidence in Genesis 37 and verse 31, listen to the response. So they took Joseph's tunic and slaughtered a male goat and dipped the tunic in the blood. And they sent the very colored tunic and brought it to their father and said, We found this. Please examine it and see whether it is your son's tunic or not. Then he examined it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. So Jacob tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. And I wonder, I'm turning to Mark chapter 6, I wonder about the father. As the father reveals to us Jesus, the son. And he watches the son tortured and die. In our behalf. Mary also suffered. Mary had to watch and suffer. Next week I want to look at just Mary at the cross. Her son. Who had been tortured. And put to death. But Mary is a good thing. A good story. A good account. A good, a good place to look. When you're trying to figure out how to manage through life. And negotiate life after the loss of a loved one. Now, we know that Jesus wasn't her first loss, right? It would have been her husband, Joseph. Somewhere between Jesus, um, a reading, if you will, that they're losing him in the temple and the cross, Joseph has passed on. And there's this verbiage in the scripture uh, in Mark 6 and verse uh, 3. It gives us maybe an idea of the fact that maybe Joseph is no longer around at this point. Maybe not, but we don't really know. But listen to what it says. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brothers of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon are not his disciples here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus, the carpenter's son, and Jesus here, the carpenter, as if he took over the family business. She's a widow, regardless of when it is he passed away. She's a single mother. And for widows and widowers, she's an inspiration in one sense to, uh, to help us to know how to navigate through life. 
with this, what we call a new norm, right? There's a scripture that is in Philippians that probably becomes more prolific to a, a widower or a widow than maybe the rest of us. But in trying times and in difficulty, it's a passage that, that we can always go to and we can count on, but it's one that we need. It's one that a widow needs. It's one that a widow needs. It's one who lost a loved one needs. And that is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And in that hour, and in that moment, the all things is, I can make it through this tragedy in my life, but only through Jesus. And how true, how true it is. And here's what we learn about widows and widowers. We've learned this. It takes courage to live, right? It takes courage to live on. You know, there's your, your whole life is changed. I mean, trans forever, it's, it's changed. And it takes courage to, to wake up one day and, and get out of the bed and, and, and then begin to, to try to live this new norm in life. And at some point, what has to happen is a transformation. Galatians chapter 2. And we see this in Mary. This transformation has to happen where, where life, uh, if you will, it, is no longer about, about you, but about the Jesus living in you. That's, that's something hard to, it's hard to explain that in a difficult time. But if we could think about that now before that day hits us. Verse 20 says, I, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself or gave himself for me. To live now with Jesus. To truly live with Jesus. Because the one in whom you truly lived with before is no longer there. These two scriptures become profoundly important to those who are struggling in this area of life. Matthew chapter 12. Another thing that has to happen in that transformation as you think about living for Jesus. Jesus is, is the one, right? To live for Jesus. Another thing that has to happen is a reliance on what God has given to us as a gift. And that is the body of Christ. You have the church. The church family has in this moment, an hour or a moment or opportunity to step up and to be that, that, that shoulder to lean on, to, to be that, that hand to hold on to, to be that, that feeling of love that you have lost. And in Matthew 12 and verse 46, arise and... Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong place. Matthew 12. Way too far. While he was still speaking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. And someone said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But he answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers, 
For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. The true need of a brotherhood. Right? I mean, get what Jesus was trying to teach her. And even trying to teach us how desperately, even though we don't think so all the time, how desperately we need each other. And the more that we cling to each other now, the more that we open ourselves up to each other now, the more help we'll have in that time of need. All of us are going to be there, right? We're we're going to be a widow or a widower, or maybe we're the ones gone. But you're going to need help. And Jesus is giving us a great example of what the body of Christ is for. We have, and we're given in that moment, in that hour, an opportunity to step up and be that person that an individual truly will need in their life to go on. And what does Jesus do? John 19. Thinking about this passage right here, he's on the cross, and, and the words before he says it is finished, we read it last week. When Jesus, verse 25, therefore saw his mother and his disciple whom he loved standing nearby. So there's two. His mother and the disciple whom he loved. He put them together. He said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to his disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. This isn't a replacement There's no way to replace Jesus. There's no way we'll ever be able to replace our child, our daughter, our son. And so that's not what Jesus is teaching. That's not what the Bible is teaching. But what Jesus is teaching is it sure adds value to helping us to move forward in a devastating time. And then I want to give you one more scripture. That in that hour of of need and desperation, the loss of a loved one or a friend or whomever it may be. To humble ourselves and turn to Matthew chapter 11 and to realize, to recognize, to understand what Jesus is really trying to say to us. And he says, come to me. Right? Come, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Come to me. Right? And that's not always the first place that we go. And Jesus wants to redirect our thinking. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Jesus says, come to me. All of you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. Come to me. And you, and you know, when, you, when you're talking to someone who's grieving, and you, and you, amazingly and remarkably, <laughs> that's not always the first scripture that I would go to. Because that's one of those scriptures where they go, I know, I need to go to Jesus, I know, but right now you don't understand. But in time, that scripture will hold you together. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now it's the Christ in me that gives me the reason to live and then come to Jesus and hold on to him. Well, 
Interestingly enough, isn't it wonderful to know the Father doesn't have to lean on us to give Him comfort? He's the God of all comfort. And so tonight, if you're struggling in your walk of faith and, and, and you just need help, go to Jesus. And we can pray with you and pray for you. And I love saying, come to us and, uh, you know, the elders are up here. We'll pray with you. We'll pray for you. You know, that's also time for you to pray. We can pray with you. And we can pray for you. If you've not surrendered to Christ in the waters of baptism, what a wonderful opportunity tonight to surrender to God today and be saved. If we can help in any way, please come. While together we stand and sing our song of invitation, why don't you come? Father God, just for today.